It is so nice to not have an empty Holdcroft building. I hate an empty Holdcroft building. It is like the saddest thing in the world to walk in that building when there is nobody else in there. Uh, and it was cold on Friday, like freezing cold on Friday. The boiler broke down. It wasn't working. And so it was cold emotionally because nobody else was there. And it was cold physically because there was no heat in there. How was everybody's Christmas? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to give me like a one, two, three, or four word like sentence of how your Christmas was. One, two, three, go. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, who got to travel this Christmas? Like, let's say, let's say travel outside of BC. Let's do that. Travel outside of BC. So you went home, Alberta, got to go to Ontario, got to go to Manitoba. Where's Saskatchewan at? Yeah. Yeah, who got to go to Dubai? <laughs> Yeah, who got to go to Jordan this Christmas? Farah! I'm sorry for picking on you, but I have never been so jealous in my entire life when everybody got to go away. I got to go to like the hotspot destination of Duncan, BC on Vancouver Island. Yeah! Steve? Yeah, that's right. Steven, come on. Bang Coyston or from Duncan. Got to see a few of Summit students that were there as well. Shanae I got to see. I got to see Iza. I got to see Emily. I got to see Brandon. I got to see Brielle. It was awesome. It was amazing. So like seven Summit students in Duncan, BC. It was awesome. But like I said, I have never been so jealous to see someone go to Jordan, go to Dubai, not just for locations, but to the great pictures of family and all that kind of stuff. So it was awesome. Uh, somebody went to Mexico, right? Yeah. Where is she? Dante? Didn't she go to Mexico? Yeah, is she not in here? You go too? Yeah. Did you go too? Where did you go? Mexico? Oh my goodness. Wow. Who went to Steinbach, Manitoba? Hey, congratulations to the engaged couple. Hey! <laughs> yeah, there's another one, but I don't think they're in here right now. So we'll, we'll wait till later to congratulate them. Uh, who stayed, like, right here in Abbotsford? Yay! Can't we say yes to them? No? Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> Who had a busy Christmas? Yeah, busy, full of family, full of food, activities, and fun. Great. Who loves busy Christmases? Uh, yeah? Uh, I think there's good busy. I think there's some good busy. There's some not good busy. I get that. Who got to hang out with family that is like, you know, it's the like siblings to the grandparents and then their kids. So it's like second, third cousin, fourth time removed. Do you see families like that over Christmas? Yeah, Donald's like, I did. Yeah, right on. Good. <laughs> I got to see some of that through Rebecca's family, which is great. It's kind of that like once a year time you get to see those people, right? Who got to have uh, family stay with them for 11 days over the break? 11 days you had people stay at your house. Yeah, uh, okay, a few. Awesome. 11 days, these people you don't get to see very often just kind of crammed into your space. That's Christmas right there in a nutshell, right? Hey, so I want to begin this semester off. We're doing just a one-off sermon. 
We have our spiritual emphasis next week, so we're not even starting a series. We're just going for one-off sermon that I want to share what's on my heart. But to begin, we're going to show a quick little video, and then we'll get into what I believe God wants to speak to us this evening. Are we too busy? It seems like the culture is shouting, do more, get more, sleep less, and go faster. Overwhelm, noise, anxiety. Is this healthy? Maybe we need to slow down and calm down. And take a second to breathe. To be grateful. And to trust the process. No matter where we are. what we're doing to take time to rest. Who felt it right when it went to that ocean scene where it was like, oh, anybody else? Wow. Seriously, I don't even know who that guy is. I don't even know if he's a Christian. I just thought it was a great video. <laughs> and it kind of promoted for what I wanted to talk about tonight. <laughs> we live in a culture who loves busyness. Get things done, right? We love to pack our schedules full of family and food and activities over the Christmas break. We love to pack our schedules here in the semester of activities, and classes, and ministries. And there's lots of great requirements out of all that. But sometimes we can overload schedule to the point of we're just feeling anxious all the time because of all that's going on in our lives and the things that we got to do that is ahead. I still got to remember and keep focus and do more and do more and do more. So I want to talk today on the first day back of the semester, first day of classes, about rest, about Sabbath, about structure, about habits, when you're not already stressed and anxious. So that what is spoken of today may be easier, remembered, written down, and then these tools that I'm hoping you'll take away with tonight that you can implement into your day-to-day, your week-to-week, your month-to-month this semester. Who was stressed out last semester? I appreciate your honesty. Like, it's okay. I was stressed last semester in some points, too. Okay, I want to open up with our scripture verse for the evening. Oh, actually, this is my title for my sermon tonight, is Strength of a Rested Soul. Who likes my muscle emojis? Strength for a Rested Soul. Thank you, Bryce. I expect lots of that tonight. Okay, we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. It's on the screen. Open up your Bibles, and let's read it. At the time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus opens up this concept of resting in him with an invite. He opens up this idea of finding rest through time with him with an invite to say, come, come to me. Come to me all who are weary, all who are burdened, the busy bodies, the go-tos, always working, always getting stuff done. He says, come to me. Those are overscheduled. Those are tense, addicted to hurry, frantic, fatigued, weary and tired. Come to me, he says with an invite. All who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Who did any reading over the break? Outside of their classes? Good for you. Well done. I love to see that. Who read any books specifically on the topic of rest or slowing down or chasing simplicity or anything like that? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Over here? Yeah? Great. There is a ton of books out on this topic right now. Like a myriad of books that you can get on this topic. Here's a few titles. Chasing Slow, Simplicity, Slowing Down, Slow, Simple Living, Thinking Slow, Brave Enough, Slowing Down, The Speed of Life, Sacred Rest, Spiritual Rhythms, The Rest of God, Crazy Busy, The Radical Pursuit of Rest, Rhythms of Rest, and Books on Books on Sabbaths. There's a ton right now of content that is out there on this concept of rest and of slowing down. Because I think we're in a crazed culture. We know this. We understand this. We get this. That is overhyped about work. About committing long, long, hard hours. Maybe more than what we ought to or more than what we should to this concept of getting stuff done always. And how about, how about your last semester? Those who raised your hands, I appreciate that. But all of us, let's think about our last semester. How did it end for you last semester? Was it that fatigue, frantic, anxious, I just got to get this done? Or was there like a pace to the end of it that you felt consistent, healthy, and good? Coming into this new year, new ideas, new hopes, new year, new me, right? We're not going to do the same thing as last time. But that was only about three, four weeks ago. Has much changed really since three, four weeks ago? There's some work to be done in all of our lives still, right? And so here's this invite that Jesus has to us, to you and to me. He says, come to me. Don't find it on your own. Yeah, we can read books and that's great. But come to Jesus to find true rest. So weary means feeling or showing tiredness. The result of exertion or lack of sleep. Anybody weary last semester? (laughs) Weary is feeling or showing of tiredness from exertion or lack of sleep. And burden is a heavy load. And do you know what happens when we are in a state of exhaustion? When exhaustion sets in, this is some things that happen to us. Our thinking deteriorates. So our ability to process information is inadequate and restricted. So when we're tired, when we're weary, that information coming in, like it's actually getting blocked. We have the inability 
inadequate, and we're restricted to process that information coming in. Emotions can become numbed, insensitive, inconsiderate, and rude. Anybody want to admit that they were inconsiderate or rude with low emotions last semester? (laughs) We can become indecisive, too, in moments of of exhaustion or weariness. That, That we just don't know how to make a decision or what decision to make or to make a good decision. And it's highly likely that most of our poor decisions from the past may have been a result of pressure, stress, or fatigue of some sort. And so Jesus is regularly, he regularly invited people to come to him so he can meet their needs. Regularly told people to follow him, to come with him, to spend time with him. He went out to them and grabbed them and drew them in. And he's saying the same thing to you. This year, follow me. I know we follow him, but I'm going to say specific in the concept of rest. Come to Jesus. He's inviting you in so that you may find rest in him. So I think in our culture today, we have this badge, per se, of being busy. I've been asking people how their Christmases were since they've gotten here, and I've been doing some mental logs of some of the responses of what people said in regards to how their Christmas was. So my question has been, hey, how was your Christmas break? And the first, the number one response, I shouldn't say the first, the most answered response was good, which I was happy with. They said it was good. They had a good break. The second most answered response was busy. It was really busy. Yeah, it was busy. Often they would say, yeah, it was good. It was really busy. Like it was like good and busy are like the same thing, Right? And so often when we say, hey, what are you up to this week? Oh, yeah, it's really busy. Or, hey, how was your last week? Yeah, it was really busy. And that's just like a a natural response that we say, sometimes even without even thinking. We just use the word busy as our response. And maybe because we're going through so much stuff in our head, we don't even really feel like we have time to answer this question honestly. So we just say busy really quickly to get it done and out of the way, and then on to our next thing. Which, unfortunately, that's a detriment to that situation and what we're in and what we're feeling. And I feel like exhaustion has really become a status symbol to many people's lives. The more we do, the more wearisome I am of being tired, of staying up late, going, getting up early, staying up late. There's just this honor system to some degree. And our culture values that, of striving more, being busy, working harder, adding more. And clearly here in Scripture, it's saying the opposite. It's saying that that's a negative thing, that wearisome, that tired feeling and showing of tiredness from overexertion or lack of sleep. And I think we have a work problem in our culture. I think the reason why is the more work that we do, I think we believe we become more valuable with the more that we give and we input. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like if if I do a little bit more work, Maybe if I do a little bit better in this situation or assignment or circumstance, that I'm going to be liked more. I'm going to be valued more. I'm going to be worth more. You know, job security. Man, if I give all of it and make sure I do more than everybody else, that means I got my job security. And there's some element of truth in which we'll talk about a little bit later in regards to work. But this issue in regards of value and worth, we have a big problem with. 
My opinion is, is we don't just have a work problem, that we have a worth problem. And so we say yes to things that we probably shouldn't say yes to because we know if we say yes to this, I might get an opportunity that people might think more highly of myself. I'll say yes to this leadership team because then I get to be in front of people and serve and lead and then I'll be valued as a great leader. Or maybe I'll go be a part of this ministry and serve here because I know that they're going to think highly of me. It'll be more valuable or worth more if I say yes to this. Lead at this conference, sing at this retreat, preach over here, go to this ministry, be part of this organization, whatever it may be. If I get this GPA or this amount of money, if I have this boyfriend or this girlfriend, if I have this laptop or this hydro flask or these shoes or whatever it is, if I do all this, get this flannel on and this toque, then maybe I'll be a little bit more worth something in the eyes of those around me. I don't think we just have a work problem. We have a worth problem. And because we can be insecure in our worth and we look for it in the wrong places, we overwork ourselves. We overexert ourselves to the point of being wearisome and burdened with this kind of stress. But the reality is, is none of those contribute to your value. Doesn't matter what shoes you wear or what water bottle you drink out of or what ministry you're in or what leadership position you have. Those are things that bring about your worth and value. And Jesus is saying, come to me and I will be the one to give you your value, to give you your rest, to give you your worth. None of that noise adds value or worth to who you are. Bob Goff says this. I love it. He says, Jesus isn't going to try to speak over the noise in our lives. He competes for our hearts, not our attention. Isn't that great? He competes for our hearts, not our attention. Because he knows that whatever grips our hearts, our attention will follow. And so he's not trying to hype up his noise and the way that he does things. He's going for your heart. And he knows that our mind and everything else will follow. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He also says in the next verse, says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And I love this scripture verse. It's so encouraging. I love this scripture verse, yet I hate how poorly it is used. Because so often it's quoted, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's honestly often how it is communicated. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it skips, often we say, we skip over verse 29 completely in that passage. Where it says, and follow me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a big part of this line that we often skip over when we talk about this passage. And learn from me. That's a relationship concept. And so he talks about this yoke. And you've heard about this yoke before. Okay, a yoke is this wooden thing that has two holes in it for an oxen's uh, head to go in around their neck. 
paired up with another oxen to work together. And so this yoke is a relationship thing. And I got two issues with a little bit of how we talk about this yoke thing. And the first one of my issue that I have with this yoke, take my yoke upon you, is that we can begin to think that the work of, of this world, of what we're to do, is wrong. When we quote it as, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that we think Jesus is just going to take all of the responsibilities and all of the work and everything and just do it all himself, and all we have to do is kick back and relax and let him do everything. Now, I believe Jesus did all that was required to bring about salvation, to bring about redemption, and to bring about right relationship again with the Father. Jesus did it all. He paid the penalty to the full. But he requires a follow-up from our part in a response to. And it isn't just him doing all the work and us lying around doing nothing. It's him walking alongside our teacher Yoked together, bound together, learning from our teacher, from our Savior, the ways to work well, the ways to work hard, because his load is easy and light. So I have this bit of an issue in the concept of work, because I think we have an overworked culture and society, and so we focus so much on the resting and the Sabbathing to compensate for the overwork. And I think not only do we need to talk about resting and Sabbathing, but we need to actually have a proper definition and understanding of what work actually is. In the New Testament, this phrase, to take the yoke of, was used often by rabbis. And he would pair them in the concept of becoming submitted, uh, a submitted pupil to a teacher. So it would be a student yoked together with a a teacher. And he gave this visual. Rabbis would give this visual. Jesus gives this visual. What farmers would do would have an experienced oxen who would plow the field yoked with a younger one to learn the ways, to walk the ways with this older, more experienced ox. To walk with, to learn the methods and the movements of the work required by those ox. Six times in the New Testament, it's used, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is saying, walk with me. Feel my stride. Feel the the pace in which that I'm going. Abide in me. Spend time with me. Follow my example. See how I do. So I know he paid it in full. I know he did the redemption part. He paid the full penalty. But there is still a follow-up required by us to walk alongside him. And the beauty is, he says that his yoke is easy. And it is light. And the word easy can be translated in Greek to well-fitted. So it means that like wooden beam thing that would go around the neck was well-fitted. And so what would happen is they would take this piece of wood, they would measure out the neck of the oxen, and they would shape it so it was well-fitted. So it wasn't pinching or wasn't jarring or wasn't hurting or anything like that, but it was easy, it was well-fitted. Jesus knows our needs. He knows our nature. He knows what fits us well and what we need. And so he says, my work for you, as we do this together as we're side by side in partnership, it's well 
suited and well-fitted for you. It's actually not a burden. It's sweet, and it's wonderful, and it's light, and we get to do it together. See, religion and rules, that's what doesn't fit well. But it's that personal relationship that does. Jesus wants that relationship with us together. And even in verses 25 to 27, before this, come to me all you who are weary, multiple times Jesus talks about and explains the relationship of him and his father. I know my father and my father knows me. I don't do anything without my father. He doesn't do anything out without me. I'm the one who reveals people or the father to people. It's this relationship, this dynamic that he is showing and imitating as an example for us that we are to walk alongside Jesus as he is always with his father. So in times with Jesus, we learn that his yoke is it's not harsh, it's not oppressive, but that yoke brings about a balance of work and rest. Because he says, my yoke is easy. Or says, take upon my yoke, sorry. Take upon my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble-hearted, and you will find rest. So there's this discovery that we have, this balance of work and rest, work and rest. Because this is what it says in Psalms 127. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's a vain to get up early and to stay up late and just work, work, work all the time. It can be in vain. But also Proverbs 10 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes riches. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings great shame. That there's also a a terrible extreme we can go to overworking, but there's a terrible extreme that we can go to of being idle and being lazy and doing nothing. Paul even talks about it to the church of Thessalonica. He says in chapter 3, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Exactly what Christ was doing. To follow, to learn from me. I'm imitating this example that I want you to do. He says in verse 10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. What? So if you don't work, Paul's command is, you don't eat. I can imagine. What if Paul today was here? Okay? And this same attitude, you don't work, you don't eat. And when I was preparing this over the last week, uh, a good friend of mine came to mind, our one and only Nathan Shingoos. Everybody give it up for Nathan Shingoos. Okay? (laughs) And I imagined if Paul held the role that Nathan does at lunchtime. 
in the cafeteria. Nathan, diligent, sitting there, making sure that every time I come around that corner, that he says, hey, it's Gavin Bristol. And then he tells me to mark down on my food card to check off so I can eat. I can imagine, what if, what if Nathan was Paul? And he's sitting there, and he's whistling away. And the birds fly into the windows like he does in a Disney character, because he's a Disney character to me. And he's wiping down the counters, right? And he's got the towel, he flips it over to his shoulder. And then there's students and faculty that walk around. And he's like, hey, hold on a second, hold on a second. Did you work today? Did you get your homework done today? Did you get everything completed that you said that you were going to do? And if the answer is no, get out of here. That's Nathan. That's Paul. That's what he would say. Did you work today? No. Then you're not eating. Get out, of this, get out of my cafeteria. He wouldn't even say this cafeteria. He would say my cafeteria. Get out of my cafeteria. <laughs> if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So there's value in work. There's value in it. But listen, he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. See that? distinction that he does there? Not busy at work, at purpose, what God has called and commanded us to do that we're convicted to follow through with. Just busy bodies, focusing on things not of the Lord. He says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Isn't that beautiful? To do your work quietly and to earn your own living. I have this sign on my door above my office, inside of it. Does anybody know what it says? Work. Yeah, achoo, yeah. No. (laughs) Work is worship. Work is worship. We can have it as a perspective, as a negative thing that rules our lives, or we can have it in the perspective that we submit and give it all to the Lord, and all that we do, we give glory and honor to Him, and it is our worship. It is my spiritual act of worship as I work and give of my time and give of my talent and my resources and my energy and my thoughts and everything with it. It's worship to God. A verse that Rebecca and I have up in our house It's one of our favorite verses out of Ecclesiastes 2. It says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? To eat and to drink and to to find enjoyment in our toil, in our work. We can find enjoyment and pleasure as we work We put our minds and our hearts and our hands and everything to the Lord in worship to him because it's well-fitted and well-suited to us. It's not a burdensome. And in that, we discover and we find rest as we work and rest in Jesus. And that's his third point. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. The strength of a rested soul. My first issue was that we have a bad definition of work. We think that Jesus is going to do all of it and we don't do any of it. Okay? My second issue is I think we have a bad definition of self-care. There's a self-care conflict that's in my heart and has been for probably about a year now. 
And New Year's, oh man, social media is the worst time for this conflict that's in my heart in regards to how we talk about self-care. All these books that I mentioned, there's some really good content in a lot of them. I have a couple of them myself. There's some really good content, so I'm not trying to knock any of them. But there is so much conversation today about self-care. So much dialogue and talk, stuff on social media about self-care, self-preservation, self-effort, self-love, and to me, self-focus. It's so much focus on self. New year, new me. This year, I'm putting myself first, and then everybody else second. I'm going to focus on what I need to do and what I need to get done this year. And there's all this focus on self, 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 self self-care. And I'm conflicted deeply in this topic. Jesus says we discover our rest in him, not in ourselves. That we find rest as we take upon his yoke and walk with him, as we work with him, that we will then find rest out of his gentle and humble heart. Not ourselves. Not just by stopping. Not just by doing nothing. That's a part of rest that we'll get into in a second. But if it's just stopping, if it's just stopping doing all work and that's it, we're not, we're not gaining rest. We're just doing nothing. And I think so much of what we do in regards to rest, so much of what we do in regards to Sabbath today, unfortunately, is just doing nothing and that's it. Thinking that that alone is what's going to be that gives us the, the recharge or the reset or the energy needed to get us back to the place of trying to do all this work, all this work, all this work, and then self-care, focus on self, do nothing, focus on self. To all this work, all this work, all this work, to stop and focus on self and focus on self. And we've lost sight and we've lost focus on walking with our Savior Yoked with him and learning from him, being in his presence, being filled with delight and being filled with thanksgiving and being filled with gratitude and being filled with peace and comfort. Even peace, I think we have a wrong picture and image of what peace was. Like I loved it when that ocean scene came up. I I love it, okay? I love the ocean. I love being outside. I love nature. Every time I go outside, I try to every time. First thing I do is just go... That extra little breath, it's just nice. Being outside, I love it. But peace, I know tranquility is in the definition, but even that alone, I'm not a huge fan of. Because I believe true scriptural biblical peace is more than just like silence and ease and simplicity and solitude. Scripture says that he gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. In the midst of chaos and storms, we can have peace and rest. In the midst of a storm, Jesus slept in the middle of a boat. As waves are going crazy and the disciples thought they were all going to die, Jesus was sleeping because he has peace in the midst of all that goes around. That is the kind of peace. That is the kind of rest that God gives us. In the midst of sin and chaos in this world, he is giving us rest as a picture of what eternity eventually will be when we're with him. Is rest. Jesus must be included in our rest. That's what a Sabbath is. It's more than just stopping. It's pausing. 
It's pausing and delighting and noticing all the things that God has done and is doing in our lives. Eugene Peterson, he said in today's Sabbath, it has been one of the most abused and distorted practices of the Christian life. He says, Sabbath is not primarily about us or how it benefits us. It is about God and how God forms us. And he gave a name to the Sabbath that we use today in North America. And I'm not going to use it because my boss and his wonderful wife is sitting in the back corner. And if you have enough uh, memory or maybe you've read up enough on Eugene Peterson as what he calls the Sabbath of North America, um, hold on to that. And if somebody asks you, tell them in private. Okay? Or look it up, and you'll find something very, very interesting. He calls it a rest without a father. A rest without a father. Our rest needs to include Jesus. Our work, we are yoked with him. Our rest, we are yoked with him. We find our rest with Jesus. Rest with Jesus provides care to our soul. See, I think self-care is not the same as soul care. Self-care is not the same as soul care. Yes, self-care, I think, is under the label and title and heading of soul care, that we can do it well and we can do it properly and be healthy in it, but it is not the same as soul care. Soul care is where Christ is the focus, where the center is Jesus, not me, that I'm the beneficiary of him, that I'm the benefactor of him, that I receive it because my focus is always on him. Self care is within soul care, but it is not the same thing as soul care. He says, come to me, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, it is well-fitted, and my burden is light. So what I want to do is I want to give you some practical takeaways, some tactical takeaways for this evening, eh? I use tactical because there was the alliteration with takeaways. It means something to do with military, uh, but it doesn't matter. So we're just going to go with tactical takeaways for tonight. Ben, you guys can come on back up. I wanted to give you some real practical tools for this semester. For this semester, these next four months of your lives that you can implement into your weeks here at Summit. I would really like to be uh, disciplined in this area as a school. I think the impact would be wide and far if we were to apply a few of these tools into our lives. So a Sabbath, okay? Sabbath out of Exodus 20. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Leviticus in uh, chapter 23, it also says, six days shall... We were, or sorry, six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So on the seventh day, there's a day of rest, a day of ceasing, a day of doing nothing, a day of really, it's a day of completion, a day of fullness. And the Bible Project, I actually 
watch that video after I had a chat with Jay at lunch today. Uh, They have a great video on the topic of Sabbath. And the whole, man, God is a math wizard and the concept of seven and fullness and completion and all that stuff, it's wonderful. And so a Sabbath is this ceasing, stopping the work that had been previously done and previously committed. The work is good, but now we're taking a day to stop and to seize. It refers to this unit of time, 24 hours, that we are to orient our lives around as holy, as separate, separate from the other six, the Sabbath. And there's patterns in the Old Testament in regards to these festivals, these times together, excuse me, that the Israelites, that the Hebrew people had that were sacred and they were holy. And one of them, of course, being was the Sabbath. So on the seventh day, they would observe the Sabbath. They were disciplined and make sure they seized all work and difficulties and things like that. They had to prepare. They had a day of preparation so that they could Sabbath well in doing nothing. Pre-cooking their food and their meals. Pre-washing their clothes and get everything set up so that on their Sabbath they would seize and do nothing and delight in the goodness of God and His truths and his promises, and in the things that have been completed and done. On the seventh year, Israelite slaves, they were to be released. It was another season of celebration and festivity. They would release slaves. Land was to lie fallow. So plowing would take place. They would, they would plow the field and harrow it, but they, would let it, uh, they wouldn't put any seed in it. It would be left unsown for a period in order to restore its fertility as part of the crop rotation and to avoid surplus production. Imagine if we lived our lives that we did things intentionally so that we would not get a surplus of it. Wow, that's countercultural. Hey? Debts were suspended or canceled on the seventh year. Seven times seven a year, properties would be returned back to its original owners. Slaves again would be released. Land again would lie fallow. And that was titled the year of Atonement Jubilee. They had festivals, new moon festivals, the days of feasting and days of rest, pilgrimage festivals, Passover feasts and unleavened bread. Feast of Weeks, which was at the beginning of the wheat harvest and barley Omar. The booths, the fruit or first fruits, trumpets, etc. There's lots of these feasts, these days set apart specifically to feast and to rest. Lots of feasting, lots of resting. Doesn't that sound amazing? That's to me. But you know, there was lots of of work that needed to be done before those days of feasting and resting were to take place. But it can be light. It can be easy. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the conclusion of the creation days that God had chosen to create the world in six days. And on the seventh day, He stopped. He said, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work 
that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Did you catch that? Three specific times it states that God had finished all his work. Like, you know the feeling of when you get things done and you're just completed and it's like, oh, that feels so good, right? Like, that's what he did. He completed the day and he looked back and he said, it was good. In a real deep voice like Jacob's there. It was good. It was good. The next day he created, it was good. And on the seventh day, he stopped so that we may imitate his example. But here's the thing that's crazy to me in that story. It's not just the stopping and the resting on the seventh day. The fact that God chose to take six days to create the world. Because really, he could have honestly, in a moment's notice, boom, this place is completely set up the way that he wanted. He's God. He can do anything. But he chose to specifically, I believe, take each day systematically organized, planned, intentional. He could have done more, but he chooses not to. To give us the example of what it means to just consistently, day by day, do the work that he's called us to do. Before the sin of the fall of man in this world, Adam and Eve were to work. Work the garden and the grounds and take care of things. It would have been a delight to them. It would have been enjoyable. So I don't want to think that work is bad. Work is worship. And God wants to balance in our lives of both work and rest in him. And so some real practical things in regarding to a Sabbath. And maybe this semester can be a semester where you really institute a Sabbath into your weeks here this semester. So it's a 24-hour period, traditionally a 24-hour period. And again, Sabbath isn't to rule over us, okay? We rule over the Sabbath. We're the ones who are disciplined to it, submitted to it, to honor and serve God so that we can be blessed by it, okay? And it's a 24-hour period that we just stop from the regular work and take delight in what Jesus is doing. So the first thing to do on a Sabbath day is to stop. Whatever it is that your regular thing is. So here we get it. It's school. It's homework. Maybe you work another job. It'd be great to find time off where those can coincide together where you get both a break from school and work, ministry included to that. And it's, it's stopping. It's seizing the regular. Maybe it's physical exhaustion. Maybe it's hurriedness. Maybe it's multitasking or competitiveness, worry. Maybe it's making decisions, catching up on errands. You're just not going to do any banking or laundry or anything on that specific day. Talking even, technology. It's just stopping from it. The worries and the stresses the things that can make us feel anxious. And then the second one is to rest, to take things slow, to get outside, to go right when you walk outside a door, to be intentional on just slowing things down, listening to the birds that are in the air, listening to wind that flows through the trees up the hill, sleeping in on a Saturday morning, 
I think one of the best times for students here to take a Sabbath is from a Friday afternoon to a Saturday afternoon. Tradition for the Hebrew people, it was a Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. We could do the same thing. If you don't have work or ministry that evening, go to class, get work done in the morning, early afternoon, and then, you know what, I'm just going to put that aside and I'm going to rest. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to make sure I do all my laundry on Thursday beforehand so I got clean clothes. My bed is clean and good to go. I'm not going to do any uh, competition stuff. I'm just going to take things slow and rest. I'm not going to binge watch Netflix or anything like that. I'm just going to take things slow. I'm going to sit. I'm going to maybe sleep in. Go to brunch on a Saturday morning just sort of like, oh, man, man, things are good right now. Slowly eat your food, get a cup of tea, enjoy time of conversation with those that are around you. The third thing to do is to delight. That we are to delight in Jesus. Walking alongside him in our work and walking alongside him in our rest. Delighting in him in creation. Again, I love going outside and just going with fresh air. Instantly I feel better. Delighting in the creation of what he's done. Also, we can take delight in the things that we've accomplished. Just like God did. In those six days, we take his his example and imitate him and look back, man, I got that done. Praise the Lord. Lord, I give that paper to you. I give that time to you. This is my worship to you. This ministry, oh, thank you, Jesus, for all that took place there. All that preparation and, and song selections for those who are musical and all that work. God, thank you for all that got done. That is so good. I'm so grateful for all that you do in my life. And we delight in what has happened not thinking about what we have to do ahead of us. We're delighting in what has been accomplished and completed and finding great satisfaction in it. And then lastly is to contemplate. To contemplate every Sabbath. It's this experience of of what Kim read tonight in her scripture passage. That on the seventh day, this, this day of fullness and of completion of the week, that we get to sit at a table and feast together and we contemplate of what the future will look like. And then we love to dream about the future. Oh, I do all the time. Probably too much sometimes. But what about dreaming about the future of eternity? Of what it's going to be of just feasting and enjoying time with Jesus at a table. I'm not going to have sore knees anymore. I'm not going to have a sore back anymore. My face is never going to feel puffy ever again. I'm just going to enjoy it and delight in it and think about how good it's going to be with Him. You know what a Sabbath can be? We were hoping for it earlier tonight. It can be a snow day. Remember a snow day in school? Where all of a sudden all responsibilities and obligations and everything is gone. And it's just a day to just enjoy. And things are a little bit slower and quieter and easier and simple. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what this community would look like if every week we all took a day, we all took a, a snow day, a Sabbath, of just enjoying each other's company, enjoying and delighting in the presence of God, thinking about eternity, stopping and seizing of what we regularly do and just rest. Oh, how kind we would be to each other. How relaxed we would be and so non-stressed whatsoever. But it takes work to get to that point. 
It says it takes planning ahead. I'm going to get this work done by this time so that on this day, I'm going to rest without the stress of what next week is. Because God will be with me. He'll walk with me. And we'll get it done. And then when we get there, we'll do it. We'll plan ahead. We'll get everything done I need to get done. And then I'm going to rest again. And this wonderful relationship of walking with our Savior and learning from Him in His gentle and His humble way. Let me finish with this last practical advice. Because homework's coming. We're only on day one, okay? Homework's coming. And I know that stress can come along with homework. If you were to put two to three hours a day to homework, five days a week, so we're talking like 10 to 12 hours a week on homework. Feels like a lot, but really, you can take two hours a day and you're gonna, from Monday to Friday, and you're going to hit 10 hours. And over the course of a semester, if you exclude exam weeks, exclude this week, and we have about 11 to 12 weeks of school. That's 110 to 120 hours this semester that we could commit to homework. Does anybody feel like they did over 100 hours of homework last year? Some of you were like, oh yeah, definitely me, yes. Yeah, I get it. But imagine if it was only two hours a day. It doesn't seem that hard. It's just that we're consistently giving what we have to Jesus each and every single day. So that when we get to the day of Sabbath, I'm not stressed or overloaded because I know I'm going to give this amount on Monday, this amount on Tuesday, this amount on Thursday, so on and so on. I believe it's more than possible. I believe it's totally possible for you to find the time to work and rest and to have the strength of a rested soul through a semester that may seem chaotic. But with Jesus, there's peace that surpasses all our understanding. Would you stand with me? And our response tonight is, is going to be quite simple. It's going to be an opportunity for you to come up to the front here, even if it means bringing a journal with you and writing out maybe what my week is going to look like and when I'm going to slot in my Sabbath. And maybe for right now, maybe it's 12 hours and you're going to work your way up to 24 hours. Again, it's not by law. It's not by rules and regulations. It's by relationship, okay? Christ worked on Sabbaths too. Doesn't give us the freedom to abuse it, but it's about relationship. So maybe it's just setting your schedule right now. Praying over it and saying, Spirit, would you speak to me that I would be disciplined in my work and disciplined in my rest to bring glory and honor to you that I may find rest in you, Jesus. And then I'm also going to give a dismissal right now too that if you feel you need to go and start writing and start praying or get outside and take a breath of fresh air, awesome. But let me pray a blessing over you and then we'll sing for a bit of worship together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, the example that he set for us. Jesus, the life, your life that you gave to pay the full penalty 
But Lord, I'm also thankful that you call us to respond, to follow you. You give us the invite to spend time with you, to walk with you, to learn from you, your humble and gentle heart. I thank you that you are the one who provides real soul care and soul rest into our lives. And so I pray now, Jesus, that you would bring about a connection with each person in this room. As you call them to you, would they hear your still, simple voice? Spirit, would you impress upon their hearts now, I pray, to come to Jesus and to find rest in him and him alone. To find the courage to work and work well and to do it all to bring glory to you. And then to be diligent and disciplined in finding a space and time for rest to to give glory and honor to you on that holy day. We need you, your leading, your discernment in our lives, Holy Spirit. I ask this blessing over the student body for this semester, that this semester would be set apart like a Sabbath day is, that this semester would be set apart as one that we can look back and remember, oh, how sweet and how good it is, or that it was because of people being yoked with you, learning from you, being disciplined in their work and in their rest. We pray this in your name.